Welcome to Talking Confidence with me, Holly Kaplan. Having confidence in the workplace is essential for progress, fulfillment, and yes, survival. The issue is that confidence doesn't always come easy and is impacted and influenced along the way. Well, as a confidence coach, I know the key to finding and keeping your confidence is to recognize how professional situations have affected how you think of yourself. In this podcast together, we will examine exactly what impacts women's confidence in the workplace. We're going to get raw in these episodes. We are going to peel back the layers of social interactions, company culture, gender discrimination, ageism, and more. My guests will include entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and business owners. We are going to get down to what these women are really feeling. Expect vulnerability, openness, and relatability. But most importantly, expect to find your confidence. Have you ever felt that every turn in your life, professionally or personally, they are constantly facing little fires? The fire of ending a relationship, the fire of an unplanned financial disaster, and the fire of, well, being fired. I'm bringing this up because I think that most of us are raised to believe that once we get through high school and graduate college, that everything else is smooth sailing. You meet your spouse, get a wonderful home, have 2.5 children, get your dream job, keep it 40 years the end. (laughs) I'm sad to tell you, that's a fairy tale. Don't get me wrong. I do know there are those out there who have near to perfect lives, but the most of us, the most of us have those little fires. It's not a fairy tale. It's reality. The question here is how do you get through them? Especially when you're hit with them over and over again, do you give up, call it a day, or do you stand the hell up and walk through the fire? My guest today, Liz Horowitz, has lived through these little fires. She has done it bravely and confidently and is here to tell her story. It is inspirational and grounding. Be sure to listen through to the end of this episode so you can hear my two tips on how these little fires can impact and improve your confidence. Liz has spent her career in media ad sales, mostly in audio, first at local radio stations in Dallas, Texas, and then 10 years with ABC Radio Networks, where she sold national network radio advertising across the ABC, Disney, and ESPN portfolio. Liz combined her ad sales background with her love for podcast at Wondery and WNYC Studios. While at WNYC, Liz partnered with Target's Corporate Responsibility Division to create a branded podcast future at heart. In 2016, Liz created and hosted over 30 episodes of the Mad Women podcast for Embolden, a global nonprofit for female leadership in advertising, now known as She Runs It. In addition to the audio industry, Liz also worked in digital and mobile. Liz founded Sonic Strategy Consulting in 2020 to advise companies serving the podcast industry, such as publishing and advertising networks, data platforms, ad tech, and research companies, as well as creators. Liz says, I love working with startups and independent thinkers. My superpower is problem solving through creative strategies and connecting my clients to business development, new revenue streams, and profitability solutions. Liz, thank you so much for coming on today. I've been looking so forward to this episode because even though we have only known each other a couple of months, really, I feel like I've known you my entire life and I had deemed, I've deemed you my mentor. So I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> oh, Holly, I feel the same way. I feel lucky to know you. Yes. Yes. We've had a very quick and easy uh, friendship. So I'm grateful. 
for that. And so I'm excited for the listeners to hear your story today. But before we do that, Ms. Liz, let's talk about how we know each other. How do we know each other? Okay, well, so we have a mutual friend uh-huh. who happens to be my sister, Judy. Yes. So yes. I guess she's in, on a uh, provisor's team with you. Exactly. And one day she said, you've just got to meet Holly. And I guess she said the same thing to you. You've got yes. to meet Liz. And so we started talking and now here we are doing a podcast. Here we are. Yes. Thank you, Judy, for introducing us. She called it. She's like, ah, you two need to know what knew what she was doing. She, she orchestrated the whole thing. So yeah, she's good at that. She is good at that. She's super, super connector. So, um, all right, well, let's just dive right in because we have a lot to talk about today. And uh, bef- before I get to my line of questioning, just so the listeners know more about you, will you please share more about who Liz is? Okay, sure, sure. So um, I always start with I'm a mom. I'm a mom of two. I'm a grandmother of four. Um, I spent most of my 40-year career in media ad sales and sales management. I'm a podcast creator, and now I am a business growth consultant, working with companies serving the audio space to help them level up. Um, And everyone always asks me what I mean by companies serving the audio space. I put air quotes around that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's The podcast industry is huge and just is continuing to grow. And I really love it um, as an industry. And I like I've just never loved any industry I've worked in before. And there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that support the industry from like data providers to production houses, to publishing networks, to advertising technology. So I typically don't work with individual podcasters since they need like a strategist who specializes in content while I lean more into business development and biz ops and marketing Um, And these are things that I learned during my long sales career, how to create a business. Because as a salesperson, you are creating your own book of business every day, every week, every month, every year. It's always like you're reinventing the wheel and starting over. But I always said, yes, Yes. you feel it. You feel it. I know it. I know. (laughs) But um, Holly, I always said that I would never be a consultant. So that's one of my first tips is never say never because I've done like three huge things in my life I said I would never do. But now um, I lived, most of my career was spent in Dallas. Now I live in New York. Another thing I said I would never do is move to New York. And I've been here about 10 years and I absolutely love it. Well, I love how brave you are and how courageous you are to try different things and move to an altogether different city. I love that. You know, it's not like, yeah. you, took, like you took a jaunt out to Frisco. You're like, no, I'm going to New York City, y'all. I'm going to New York City. <laughs> I, well, I intended to take a jaunt out to Frisco, something along those lines. And it ended up being New York. But I'll tell you that story when we get to it. Oh, awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue because... You've had different career changes, and throughout your career changes, you have been able to grow and develop yourself and reinvent yourself over and over again. And your tenacity is what I really, really admire. So will you, in order to tell your story, will you kind of give us the scope of your early years in your career? Sure, sure. 
Well, I graduated from the University of Texas with a degree in psychology. And I really did not intend to go to graduate school. I thought I would. And then when it came down to it, I just couldn't wait to get out of school and get into the real world. And I wanted to do nothing more than be, than work in business. But I didn't know what that was. So I got a real estate um, license and I thought, you know, until I figure it out, I'll sell real estate. But what I found out is that nobody wants to buy a house from a 22 year old who looks like a 12 year old. (laughs) So so, and I tried, but no, that was not working for me. So a friend hired me to help lease apartments. And I thought, again, this would be something that I would just do until I figured other things out. And I absolutely killed it. I learned really quickly how to close. So when someone called to see an apartment, I told them they had to be prepared to sign a lease and that day. They had to have permission from their parents and they had to bring a check for the deposit. And if they didn't do all of those things, I wouldn't show them the apartment. So when they got there to our appointment, I reviewed this again. And I asked, you know, have you gotten permission from your parents? You know, can you, will you sign the lease today? Not can you, will you? And do you have a check and show me that check? And if any of one of those three things was not 100%, I wouldn't take them out because my time was money and there was always another prospect waiting to lease an apartment. So that was a really good lesson for me. Not only could I close, but you had to like, you know, stick to your principles. Yes, there's always room to make exceptions and bend the rules. But I found that if I just stuck to those three things, I could close as many deals as I had time to close in a day. And I made more money than I ever thought I would make. That's terrific. I love how smart you were, especially for being right out of college, because girl, I was not that smart when I got out of LSU, but (laughs) I just wasn't. But um, I love how you set the expectations up front, because that's the key to sales. There's nothing unknown when you set the expectations up front. And those, that was called qualifying, qualifying. Yes. Yes. You qualify them. You're like, you don't have these three items. It's no go. It's you made it very simple for them, I think. Yep. Yep. So you started out being a closer in apartment sales or leasing sales. What from there brought you to ads to ad sales? Well, I, I mean it was honestly it was a move from Austin to Dallas. I knew that learning an entirely new uh, real estate market was um, just not in the cards. It just didn't seem like a smart thing to do. I mean, most of your success in real estate is your network and knowing your market. So I knew that was a good time to make a change. And I had taken an advertising class as an elective, as a senior. And when I took the class, I had an aha moment, which was, oh, this is what I really love. This is what I'm meant to do. And I just kind of tucked that away. So when I moved to Dallas, I started looking for jobs in ad sales. And back in the day, you just opened the newspaper and you went to the classified <laughs> section. You did. That's what you did to look for a job. There was no Indeed or or Monster. It was the newspaper. Yeah. It was the newspaper. Anyway, it was fairly easy to get a job. 
And then um, I found that I really loved sales and I really loved advertising sales. And then I started in print and then very soon a client recommended me to a radio station and they hired me without any experience, which taught me the power of personal relationships in business. And it was a really terrific experience. So my oldest and dearest friends are from that radio station. So shout out to 102.9 Dallas. I know who they are. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And I stayed in ad sales for the rest of my career. I'm going to go to a tougher question because that's going to lead us into the little fires that you experienced um, throughout your career. What adversity did you face, Liz, in ad sales that pushed you into obstacles? And how did it impact your confidence? Um, So... That's a great question because I was really good at ad sales and throughout my career, I drove myself to learn and grow and become number one, the number one salesperson in my company on more than one occasion. But that came at a cost. Mm -hmm. I found that striving without thriving is no way to live and it's not sustainable. And so I had to learn the importance of sleep and the importance of taking a break and not always being on and making time for self-care. And these were much harder lessons to learn than learning how to sell. Um, yeah. Why do you think that is? I think I know in my mind, but I'd love to know from you why you, why you think that we work that hard like that. Well, because I really felt that um, being you know, performance driven Mm -hmm. and um, very competitive, that being always on and running as fast as I could and, you know, making as many appointments and seeing as many prospects and closing as many deals and racking up commissions. That's what I was built for. And I, I just didn't look at the bigger picture, which was after doing that for years and even decades, I didn't understand and know and have the foresight as to what the cost would be. And it wasn't until I started paying that cost with a breakdown in my, I would say, emotional and physical health mm-hmm. really gave me a wake up call. And by then it's kind of like, not too late, but it's kind of, you're at the end of your rope. And that's when clawing back into good practices and being, you know, um, healthy and strong takes more time and more work. And it's so much better to do it from the beginning. So I would say that was a hard lesson to learn and something that I always tell um, my mentees and people just starting out is to make sure you find time to take care of yourself from the beginning because you'll have, um, you know, you'll, you'll, thrive while you strive right it's it's balance that's hard it's balance and that's easy to say hard to do harder to learn very very true I think we're programmed that way I think I come from a family that were they were in sales they sold typewriters if that tells you how far back it goes but I was those were a thing and I was taught to keep running don't stop get the appointments, hit your quota, be successful. 
and self-care was selfish. It was selfish. And so it's hard to rethink it because the generation prior to me taught me that. Then I go work, go to work for big corporate America. They taught me the same thing. So now get, like you said, to the end of your rope and you got nothing left. And that's all left in the tank. And do you remember being taught in sales? um, You'll sleep when you die. Yes. Well, if you I don't mean, sleep, you will die. So it, right. Oh, sleep was sleep was for losers. Yeah. You sold hard, and then you partied hard, and then you got to yes. party again the next day. But anyway, I'm here to tell you all of that is not okay. We yeah. it it's it's smarter to be um, cognizant of your mental, physical, and emotional health. Agreed. And thank you for sharing that because the people that are successors will benefit from that. Um, could you, um, but oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Could you um, share any examples of any of the obstacles that you faced? Yes. And how you yes. your footing again? I know there's a self-care aspect, but what were some of the obstacles that you had to conquer? Yeah, I would say the hardest impact to my self-confidence was when I was fired. Um, after having achieved my highest goal at the time, which was to be a sales manager at a radio station. Mm -hmm. And the story is that the woman that I competed against for the job, for the sales job, the sales manager's job was one of the other salespeople. And she left the company, but then came back a few years later and asked for a sales job. So I thought that was kind of strange because why would you want to report to the sales manager who had bested you for the job you wanted. But you know, I, I was talked into it by my boss who really wanted to hire her, even though I didn't. And the funny thing is, was that this woman had left to be a sales manager at another radio station. And that had been a disaster. And that was part of the reason I didn't want to hire her is because her reputation had, had really, you know, just wasn't the greatest. And I just, I just didn't have a good feeling about it. Um, so what she said to me at the time was that all she wanted to do was to be a good salesperson and she never wanted to manage again. But when my boss left the company, she went for that job and she got it. And the first thing she did was fire me. Ooh. So, I know. So isn't that crazy? Um, after I had just, you know, given her her chance to come back into sales and, and I, I really couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was completely devastated. But it was time to move on. And I never would have done that if that hadn't happened. And I saw almost immediately that it was a good thing because it gave me the opportunity to go back into sales, a career right. in which I had thrived. Yes. And I actually never went for management again because it really wasn't my skill set. It was something I had wanted to do. I'm glad I had the experience, um, but I was meant to be in sales. And so that's why at the end, it, it truly was for the best, even though I didn't see it at the time, because at the same time, I was also going through a really horrible, protracted, and scary divorce. Mm -hmm. So I had two very young children. They were barely two and four at the time. 
And my soon-to-be ex hired like the most expensive divorce attorney in Dallas who had a reputation for being a bulldog. And I was really floundering emotionally because I was trying to keep my head above water with a custody battle and a financial fight for my life and that I had to find another job. So getting fired meant that, you know, I had failed at my job and at my marriage. And it was a really a double whammy on my confidence. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I had to get up and put one foot in front of the other because the alternative was no money and no custody. And I, I mean, I'm not being dramatic because what determines custody is not really who is like the fit or unfit parent. It is your ability to keep fighting that fight financially, which is really expensive. And the parent who runs out of emotional or fin financial capacity first is the one who loses. So, and I was, I was kind of, um, as I said, floundering and struggling at that point in my life. So I knew that I needed, um, I knew I needed help. So I got myself a really good therapist and I just made sure that I put one foot in front of the other every day no matter what that looked like. I think that's, so, that's a great way to approach it instead of feeling overwhelmed. You're right. You have to get up every day and put one foot in front of the other so you don't just well, fall apart. Exactly. And I mean, because I kind of was falling apart, but I remember telling myself, just get up every day. And you know that old saying, you know, just take it one day at a time. I mean, that was really true. So... I was navigating what turned out to be a six-year court battle. And hmm. what I learned through that is that, hey, I can stand up to intimidation. And I can get through small wins. And I can get a new job. And I can, I can, I can. And that's why I called these trials my little fires. Because I walked through each and every one of them with my knees shaking. But oh. I did it. So I... So I know I can. And, right. and that's what helped me to build my confidence more than anything. Well, I love that because it's what was tearing you down or burning you up that you were able to overcome. And I, that's what I admire about you. Will you tell us how coming out of those little fires, how did you push yourself to evolve and change with what you needed to do next for your career? Well, uh, yeah. Well, so I had two models that kept me going. One was what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And I wasn't even sure exactly what that meant, but I kept telling myself that what had happened and what would happen in the future, neither of which I should spend my time worrying about didn't matter compared to what was within me. And what was within me was my character. That's all I had. And I just every day told myself that I, I, I was a person of character. Yes. Um, and then the, the other was living well is the best revenge. And at the time, I was pretty sure that living well meant no more lawyers or depositions or custody battles. And that I would be defined by what kind of mother I was 
and what kind of character I taught my children to have. And that has always been my greatest gift far and beyond being number one at any job at any company. Um, and I remember a quote from Jackie Kennedy. She said, if you bungle raising your children, I don't think whatever else you do well matters very much. I agree. And so I was really concerned with being the best I could be at my job and, you know, excelling in my career. But raising my children, nothing was more important to me than that. And I was super concerned because being the children of a really acrimonious divorce, that, you know, how might that screw them up? So I was just focused on being a good parent. And to me, what that meant, what I wanted for my children was to feel feel seen and feel valued. So I know I made tons and tons of parenting mistakes. We all do. That's part of it. But I was always sure that I was present for them at then and that I made them feel seen. Right. Right. That's the best thing you could have done, mom. And I agree with you. That's more important than anything else. And then as, as far as like just finding my footing again. Yes. Yes. I, I don't think you can underestimate the power of friendships and the support that they offer. So I had, I was lucky to have women who stood with me and loved me through all my ups and downs. And I had two sisters who were and still are my rock. And I had parents who are my best cheerleaders, even when we didn't agree or get along. Uh, but I knew they were in my corner. And my mother was a very, very strong woman who modeled non-traditional roles for women long before that was a thing. She ran for mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma in the seventies. Oh my God. She's a woman ahead of her. I know, time. right? Yeah. She was a trendsetter. And she was um she was someone who just was never intimidated by the powers that be, which is the only thing that could have given her the confidence to run for mayor. And she was defeated, but then she had her own radio commentary show for many years. And she would always tell me that our family had good coping genes. I mean, she told me that so many times and I believed her. And I didn't always believe in myself, but I always believed that my good coping genes would win and that I would live to find another day. So I have always valued the fact that she, I mean, modeled strength for me and just told me, you just can never underestimate the power of words. And just her telling me that we had good coping genes gave me strength. And the confidence to just pick up and and pick myself up and figure it out. I I admire that because she shows strength and resilience, and she's teaching you the same. She didn't teach you to cave in or give up. You know, she just kept moving. So she sounds like exactly. she's she's quite a model. I mean, oh, she modeled modeled the right skills and behaviors to you. And I love how she called them coping genes, you know, mm -hmm. you're writing that down. I like that. <laughs> you have good coping <laughs> genes. So you should expect that she, you should be able to handle things. Exactly. Uh, yes. 
um, anything in the way of your career that you felt like you had to do differently to advance yourself with your next oh, step absolutely. where the technology was going. Cause not only did you have to change your marriage, it's a nice way of saying it, start over on your own, but then you were coming into a new time of ad sales and things had changed. So what did you do to take care of Liz during that time? Oh, absolutely. That is so true. So I had spent um, many years in local radio sales, and then I took a big job in national network sales for ABC radio networks. And I did that for about 10 years. And that included um, a lot of travel. And I remember my mom at the time saying, take the job. I will help you with the kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that gave that gave me the confidence to move forward because I, I I mean, honestly, it was a scary big job, but I did it and it was a huge transition because although I knew I thought everything about radio ad sales, network was a completely different animal. And I mm-hmm. had to basically learn the business all over again. And um like I said, it was tough. It was intimidating, um, but I did it and I um, excelled at it. And after 10 years, I decided to pivot into digital media. But that was in 2008 when really the only jobs in the market, and this was again, Dallas at the time, were at AOL, MSN, and Yahoo. That tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> so um, I just, I networked like crazy. I asked mm-hmm. everyone I knew to introduce me to anyone they could in the digital ad space. I went to digital networking events, which also took a lot of courage. And I eventually was introduced to a guy whose name is Mike Hilker, who was in ad sales at AOL. And he let me take him to lunch and just basically ask him all kinds of questions about, you know, everything about his job and everything about working at AOL. And after lunch, I said to myself, if I could have my Kilker's job, that would be my wish. <laughs> and I mean, Holly, six months later, almost to the date, I had Mike Kilker's job. So, I mean, it kind of blew my mind how that happened, uh-huh. but I had asked him to introduce me to his sales manager, which he did. That person ignored me for three months. And so I, I kind of quit trying there and, you know, moved into another direction. And then a few months later, I went back to him and said, Hey, I would really like to meet you. You know, I'm networking. I'm, you know, just as an informational interview. And by the way, I mean, I don't think it's valuable to say I'm looking for a job because then people only respond to you when they have a job. Right. Just say you're ne- you're networking, you're doing informational interviews, you'd love to hear about their journey. Anyway, he eventually responded to me. I mean, I was shocked. And I went into, you know, sit down with him and I said, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, meet with me, especially since this is just, you know, networking informational interview for my own personal, you know, career growth and you don't have a job open. And he goes, oh, but I do have a job open. And I said, Really? He said, yes. So someone just left. And I said, oh, who? And he said, Mike Hilker. So that's how I found myself interviewing for Mike Hilker's job. And I actually got that job. 
And to this day, about once a year, I'll email Mike and thank him because he really did change the trajectory of my career. So moving from radio into digital was another huge learning curve. And I remember a girlfriend, as I was telling her how hard this was, saying, oh, did you bite off more than you can chew? And I thought, (laughs) and I thought, well, maybe I did, but guess what? I'm going to figure out how to swallow that whole damn thing. You mastered that too. You mastered it. And you really kind of manifested your next steps. You're like, I want that. And then you made it happen. I did. And when that job ended because they closed the Dallas office, I manifested my next deal again because I wanted to stay on the cutting edge of technology. And so I decided I wanted to get into mobile ad sales. And I just started doing the same thing, not looking for a job posting, but just networking like crazy, asking anyone and everyone I knew. I ended up in a networking meeting where she said, yeah, I think I know someone you should talk to. And that person was the um, head of a company, a startup called Hip Cricket that was doing mobile ad sales. And I told them I could open the Southwest for them. They hired me. I became number one in the company. They ended up moving me to New York. And I will say that these experiences just taught me the value of ignoring the job postings Mm -hmm. and just putting yourself through network into being at the right place at the right time. It takes a lot of energy, but it's really worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, it is. And I, um, so, Well, I, I love how sorry. you took yourself from the closing of the Dallas office to another role through networking and becoming successful there too. So I'm noticing the repeatability in how what you're doing works. So I just, yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Sorry, go ahead. No, fine. and then that job led me to do the next thing that I said I would never do, which is move to New York City. So I had always thought that it would be cool to live there, but I was really settled in Dallas and I was just thinking about maybe selling my house and moving to a different part of the city. And I was with my sisters who also lived in Dallas and I said, you know, thinking of selling my house and where do you think I should move? You know, which meant which neighborhood, but my sister, Judy, the, um, the, the, the ballsy one again said, Hey, you're crazy. If you don't move to New York, your company has an office there and just ask them and really just kind of to shut her up. I said, you know, you're crazy, but I'll ask. And I did. And they said, that is a great idea. How soon can you be here? We need you in New York. So I was like, am I really doing this? I mean, it was just a question. Yeah. (laughs) If I wanted to move to New York, could I? And they said, yes, let's do it. So I figured, you know, I'd have a better social life and there's so much more to do and see. And I was just really ready for the next adventure in my life. And so within 60 days, I had sold my house and really pretty much everything I owned and come to New York. And I really have never looked back. I've absolutely loved it here. I do have um, a daughter, her husband, and two grandchildren here, and a son and his wife and their two grandchildren, their two children um, close by in Providence, Rhode Island. So if you had told me we would all end up in the Northeast, I would have bet you a million dollars that that would never happen. 
but it did because never say never. I, never say never. Because yes, because you never say never. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that's it was just it was just a uh, an opportunity and I walked through that door and I have um always been grateful that I did. Again, your bravery and courageous spirit. Again, nothing stops Liz. Nothing stops you. You just keep going. It's amazing. And it's really just about continuing to challenge myself and to tell myself to exercise my confidence muscle because I truly believe that confidence is a muscle and we have to exercise it to get stronger. Um, So you know that saying that you must do the thing that you think you cannot do. Um, And that just goes to all the I could nevers that I had told myself and that women tell me um, when I say I moved to New York or I travel by myself, I can't tell you how many women tell me, oh, I could never do that. And I always coach them to say to yourself, never say never, because it does help you to exercise that confidence muscle. And you really don't know what you can achieve until you're willing to do that. Okay, we're beginning to wind down here. Tell me about your confidence today. And that kind of deviates from my last written question that I have here. But we've talked about your challenges already. Tell me about your confidence today. Well, I I feel that confidence isn't something that you ever truly master 100%. I had to get my confidence up to have this conversation with you today because being interviewed for a podcast <laughs> is a little bit scary, a little bit intimidating. Um, so yeah, I had to boost myself up. I am going to be moderating a panel for a big conference in a few weeks. Um, I'm going to be interviewing people on a stage in front of hundreds of people. And so I've got to get my confidence up for that. I've done it before, but it's still a little bit scary. So I, 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 I don't believe that you can be fearless, but I don't believe that you ever lose feeling the emotion of fear Mm -hmm. and that you ever feel 100% confident all the time. So you may look at others and think, oh my gosh, she's always so confident. I wish I could be like that. I guarantee you, she feels exactly the same way you do. You, Mm -hmm. You always experience fear. That's what kind of motivates you to kind of take on the next challenge. Look at all of the accomplishments that you've done in the past the little fires and the big fires that you've walked through. And you tell yourself, if I can do that, I can walk through the next one. And that fear that I'm feeling, think about it, meditate on it, observe it. You know, I feel it in my stomach or in my, my, you know, my heart is racing or I'm Mm -hmm. breathing shallowly. And you talk to yourself about those things because you acknowledge it rather than run away from it. Right, And, and that I, really helps you accomplish whatever your next, you know, um, you know, great achievement will be. Right. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And confidence does go up and down. It wavers. 
But anytime you walk into a situation that you're not so confident about, you're going to grow and things are going to change. Now you're facilitating a conversation and you've got other things on your plate because you were able to push through those little fires and be confident. So I admire you for that. Yes. Well, (laughs) I've enjoyed hearing your story again, and I've enjoyed what you share with the listeners. What if people want to get in touch with you for your business or if they want you to speak? What, how do they get in touch with you? Oh, I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn at Liz Horowitz. I'm on Twitter at Liz underscore Horowitz. And you can always go to my website, which is sonicstrategyconsulting.com. Terrific. Terrific. Liz, thank you so much for being on this podcast with me today. You have been a delight. And I know a lot of our listeners will walk away from this conversation with a whole new level of bravery and courage because of you. Oh, thank you, Holly. It's been really my pleasure to be with you today. I really enjoyed talking to you about this. Thanks. Life is unpredictable. We don't have control over what will happen with the job, spouse, friends, or family. We do know, however, that unexpected situations occur and those little fires are everywhere. At the end of the day, it's all about how you handle them. Here are my two parting tips for you today. Firstly, okay, I learned this the hard way. Practice grace when faced with adversity. Take those deep breaths. Don't let your emotion take over. By doing this, you're sparing yourself a heart attack and coming out of your fire slash situation, you'll be stronger. Secondly, Use your strength and confidence from previous fires to know that they will carry you through to the next one because there will be one. You'll just be better at putting it out. Those are my parting words for you today. This is Holly Kaplan. Cheers until the next episode of Talking Confidence. Thank you, Talking Confidence listeners, for joining me today for this episode. If you would like to connect with me personally for confidence coaching or speaking events, you can reach me at hollycaplin.com. If you would like to buy my book, Surviving the Dick Click, A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Male-Dominated Corporate World, you can find your copy at amazon.com. Thanks.